All right, let's pray and let's get started. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. And thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you have revealed yourself and in these last days through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you will help us this morning, that we will um, have a heart for evangelism and that we will be equipped to go talk to people around us and bring your gospel into their lives. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. And uh, today we are continuing our uh, series on tackling worldviews. So just to give you an overview, we looked at what is a worldview, and then we spoke about what is a Christian worldview, and what do we as Christians believe. And last week, we started looking at distortions of the Christian worldview. And the first thing we looked at was Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and as we were looking at that, there were certain things that I mentioned that we have to keep in mind when we are looking at uh, distortions of a Christian worldview. We'll talk about non-Christian worldviews uh, in the coming classes, but when we are looking at Christian worldviews, the first thing that we have to keep in mind is that they are claiming to be Christian, that is biblical. So you know what they're actually basing their belief on, so you know their foundation, and we can try to understand to a certain extent this is what they're claiming to be. Second thing is, the be because they're claiming to be biblical, the best way to tackle them is by knowing the Bible. So we looked at this last week, and it's not just knowing the Bible, it's memorizing the scriptures. Because if you're in a conversation, and if they whip out a verse, uh, and they're like, John 17, 3, Jesus says there's only one true God. It's like, so Jesus is not God. It's like, wait, what? If you don't know that verse, and if you don't understand how to interpret that verse, you will be spinning in circles with them. So it's important that you memorize the scriptures and you understand the doctrines that are being taught in the, all of the Bible. Okay, so the third thing we said was develop a deep understanding of Christian doctrines. And when we are talking with um, most Christian distortions, you have to have a good understanding of the doctrine of God. Okay, who is God? And particularly the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, so last week, as we saw Jehovah's Witnesses, they just outright deny that Jesus is the same as Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, so if you don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity, it will be difficult for you to engage with them and to show them that, no, Jesus is Jehovah, Jesus is Yahweh. Okay, and the same thing with the Holy Spirit as well. Okay, and today we will, as we look at Mormonism and uh, Judaism, that's another aspect for us to keep in mind also to show how, who is God, right? And when we look at Mormonism, we'll see how there is a, such a distortion of who God is from a biblical um, point of, from what the Bible says. So, um, understand Christian doctrines, particularly the doctrine of the Trinity. And there are a lot of good books, uh, Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity, James White, The Forgotten Trinity. Uh, if you want to go a few years back, B.B. Warfield, he wrote a very good uh, book or essay on the Trinity. So, um, make sure that you are equipping yourself with these Christian doctrines. And these doctrines are not just theological concepts, as we said, they're all centered on the person of Christ. As we said last week also, Christian worldview is not just 
a bunch of proposition, but it's based on Christ. Colossians 2.3. Okay. Uh, finally, um, we said, learn their terminology. And we will see today also, as we talk about some terms, there are terms that we have an understanding of, but that's not the same way they understand those terms. And uh, very um, simply, many of you have come from Catholic backgrounds or have Catholic friends and family, and every time you go and tell them, believe in Jesus, and they'll be like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. But you know that's not what you're really trying to tell them, or they don't really, um, they're not saying it, believing it the same way that you are asking them to believe, right? So learn their terminology because it's very important. Otherwise, you will be going in circles talking about the same thing. And at the end of the day, you will feel like you had a fruitful conversation, but it was just hot air. <laughs> so uh, make sure you do that. So these are some uh, fundamentals that we want to keep in mind as we talk about how to address or engage with people who have a distorted Christian worldview. Okay. So the first thing we will look at today is um, uh, Mormonism. And in the interest of time, I will uh, ask you to hold your questions till I get to a point, And I will give you enough time to ask questions, but uh, hold it. Uh, if, you're, if we are in the middle of a slide, uh, please hold on to your questions. And uh, we want to get through Mormonism and Judaism this morning. So let's do that. And also one thing to keep in mind is as we are talking about tackling worldviews. Yes, we are tackling worldviews. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we want to bring down every um, idea and every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. But in the process, do not forget that you're engaging with an actual person. Okay, you're not trying to win the argument, but you're trying to win the person for Christ, right? It's not just about, um, um, in, in the words of James White, getting blood on your theological sword, right? But it's more about um, making sure that the person has an understanding of the gospel and that the Spirit of God will take that and work in his or her heart and bring them to the knowledge of Christ. Okay, that is what we're trying to do. And in everything, uh, in every Every time we engage, be it through acts of kindness, showing them love, or engaging in arguments, engaging in uh, such conversations, the point is that we will have them, we will uh, bring them closer to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that is our goal. So keeping that in mind, let's look that look at um, Mormonism. Okay, so Mormonism it was founded by Joseph Smith in 1830. And there is, um, it's not like there was a Bible study, but Joseph Smith was sort of disillusioned by a lot of Christian churches. And he just wanted to know which is the true church. And uh, he walked into the woods and he had a vision of an angel. And the angel told him, all of them are false. I will tell you what the true church is. And that is how he started the Church of the Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. Okay, And the way they understand is the church the church that Jesus instituted ceased or, uh, yeah, ceased to exist after the apostles. Okay, so everything after the last apostle died, everything that happened was a complete distortion. That's not what Jesus intended. And till the angel showed up to Joseph Smith. So from the, say, 100 plus AD all the way till 1830, 
the church basically did not exist. What existed was not the true church. That was what Joseph Smith taught, and that's where you have the Church of the Latter-day Saints of uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's how the church got started. Um, so how do they understand God? God, and their word for God is typically Elohim, uh, because you will see that in the Hebrew Bible also. God was a man on another planet, and he was exalted to his present state by obedience to the law. Mormonism is very complex, and um, if you're having a lot of questions, this is where you go and do your research, because we are not going to be able to address all of this today. But it is very complex. There is a lot of um, teachings or doctrines that they follow. But their idea of God is, uh, God is not divine. He was a man on another planet, and he obeyed the law. And because he obeyed the law, he was exalted, and he was given his own planet, his own universe. So which is where we are, and um, that is who God is. He advanced to his present state because he was obedient to the law. And before him, there were infinite gods, right? So if he was a man on a planet, so that planet had another god. And that god was a man on another planet, and you just infinitely regress to planets and gods. And as you, are a, you follow the law, you get exalted to being a god, and then you get your own planet, and then you can do what you want in your planet. So it's an infinite regress, and um, we will get to the point as to what was there at the beginning uh, very quickly. Um, so before him, there were infinite gods. So even now, there are infinite gods. This is polytheism to its extent. It's more polytheistic than Hinduism, which has 33 million gods. Here there are infinite number of gods, right? And uh, Jesus, uh, who is Jehovah, so Elohim is different than Jehovah, okay? Elohim is God. Jesus um, is one of the first uh, offsprings or spirit children of Elohim, okay? Another spirit child was Lucifer, okay? So Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, and they are spirit children of Elohim. So that is who God is, and that is how they understand Jesus, and that is how they understand Lucifer. And there is a lot more that we can go into, but this is just um, their understanding of divinity or um, being God. Okay? Creation. So creation is not as um, Hebrew says that God created out of nothing. No, there was always matter. So matter is one of the things that has always existed, okay? Matter was not created, but it's one of the things that has always existed, and what God did was rearrange matter. He couldn't speak matter into existence because he doesn't have that kind of power, right? So he can only uh, rearrange matter, and all of the rearrangement is where we find our universe today, and whoever, whichever God is on whichever other universe, he has rearranged matter in such a way that their universe can exist, so that can go on in uh, different ways, okay? So matter always existed, and rearranging matter is how we get our world, the universe. Remember, this is where we spoke about what is your idea of the universe? Is it just natural, or is there anything beyond the natural? 
for them, matter has always existed. So it's not just natural, it's beyond the natural, and God just rearranged it. Okay? So that is uh, their idea of God and then their idea of creation. So who is man? So man was not created, but eternally existed in the intelligence. Now, intelligence is another eternal thing. So matter and intelligence are the two eternal uh, beings or top aspects of the universe, of reality. And um, matter was rearranged for universe, but intelligence, it's almost like concepts or thoughts, and man has always existed in the intelligence. And, um, but they become spirit children when this exalted God uh, has uh, sexual unions with an exalted woman. Okay, and they are, we, all of us, have existed as spirit children before we came to this world. And then in reality, we were born as humans. Okay, so again, as I said, it's very complex, and I know I'm losing some of you over here, but uh, uh, hopefully this will just at least show how complicated it is, and when you are talking about man is made in the image of God, it's like, yeah, he was a spirit child, he's a child of God, right? Uh, we're all children of God. Yes, we're all children of God. We're all spirit, we were all spirit children of God, and then we were sent to this earth, and we were born to our parents um, as children. But we don't remember that we are spirit children because of different theories, but we don't remember our spirit child age, right? Uh, but we are here as um, ch uh, children of God. Okay, so that is their understanding of man, okay? So if you say, so where is the worth or value in human beings? This is where Mormons get their value in human beings. We are all children of God, so we should care for each other. Okay, remember that's one of the things that we spoke about. It's like, why do we have to, uh, where does goodness or morality come from? And why do you care for other human beings in different worldviews, in Mormonism? Because we are all children of God. That is why it's important. Okay. Um, Salvation. So how do you get saved? Now, there are different um, realms of uh, eternal life that the Mormons have. I'm not going to get into it, but again, it's very complicated. It's a very broad um, theology, but the way you get saved is by these four fundamental principles. Faith, repentance, baptism, and laying on of hands. Of course, we all believe that too, right? Faith, we say you need to have faith. Nobody can be saved by works. You have to be saved by faith, and you have to repent. Jesus said, repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then baptism, Jesus himself said, go and baptize. So we say baptism is a sign of your faith. And laying on of hands, that's, uh, we say that's specific for ministry or whatever it is, but we also have these same terminologies, and we have an understanding of faith, repentance, baptism, and laying on of hands are. But it's not the same when it comes to the Mormons, okay? Their understanding of faith and repentance is not the same as how we understand faith and repentance. And when it comes to baptism, there is, very, there, there is a very specific way you have to be baptized. Of course, you have to be baptized in the Mormon church, but you also have to be baptized by somebody who is descended from the Aaronic priesthood. Okay, or the Levitical priesthood. Only such a person can baptize you. But now you may ask, how do we know who is who? Remember, uh, the church ceased to exist, right? 
So when the angel uh, revealed the ch uh, whatever to Joseph Smith, John the Baptist restored that office to Joseph Smith. Okay? So Joseph Smith can pass that along to the other people in his church. So John the Baptist restored the Aaronic priesthood to Joseph Smith. And because of that, the prophets, uh, that they call them prophets in the Mormon church, they have that office. And when they baptize you, you are legally or uh, properly <coughs> baptized. Now, laying on of hands. Again, there is all the caveat with the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands has to be from somebody who is a Melchizedek priesthood. Okay? And again, you may ask, how do we find out who is Melchizedek priesthood? So this was restored to Joseph Smith by Peter, James, and John when, um, he's, when he was given the visions. Okay? So baptism has to be from an um, Aaronic priesthood, and laying on of hands has to be from the Melchizedek priesthood, and that's why you have to be part of the Mormon church to be saved. Without that, you will not be saved. Okay? And also, uh, the other thing you need to, yeah, faith repentance, but you also have to uh, follow the gospel rules and principles, which you will see in their texts. And uh, yes, you believe, but you also have a works-based salvation. But the Mormons, they're also highly missions-oriented. How many of you have had Mormons come to your door. Mike, I see, okay, quite a few. I mean, not as many as the Jehovah's Witnesses, but Mormons, they are very evangelistic also. And they are so missions oriented that even after death, they go preaching the gospel. Now you may ask, who are they preaching the gospel to after death? And people who have not believed in the Mormon gospel are all held in spirit prison. And these Mormons who have led a good life and are saved, they go, even after death, to preach the gospel to people who are in spirit prison. Okay, maybe some of them, I think it should be easy for anybody who is in a spirit prison to hear the gospel and believe, right? So faith and repentance might happen. But what about baptism and laying on of hands? How do, have you, has anybody tried to baptize a spirit? Or lay, the, lay hands on a spirit? Obviously, you cannot do that. So how do they do it? People who are part of the Mormon church, they get baptized on behalf of the dead. Okay, in 1 Corinthians, you have this verse which Paul talks about, which is very difficult to interpret, where he says the baptism of the dead. So they take that and it's like, oh, look, Paul spoke about baptism of the dead, so we need to get baptized for the dead. So they get baptized. They may go in to a baptismal pool with like 50 names. And they said, okay, I baptize you for this person, dunk, and then come out. I baptize you for this person, dunk, come out. And they could do that for as many people. And then in the same way, you could get laid, your hands laid on for people who have died by the same prophethood. So faith, repentance, baptism, and laying on of hands. So that is their idea of salvation and, um, you, um, their, and also the continued obedience. Now... What are their texts that they follow? They follow the King James Bible only if it is translated correctly. And what that means is if it contradicts with the other books that they have, then it's not translated correctly. 
Okay. Uh, King James Bible, only if it's translated correctly. Uh, they also have the Book of Mormon. I'm sure a lot of you know about the Book of Mormon, which was given to Joseph Smith. And they also have um, Doctrine and Covenants, and also the Pearl of Great Price. So if you haven't uh, heard about these books, these are the four books that the Mormons uh, follow and believe. And again, this is where they get all of their theology from. Of course, they have prophets who are living right now. and it's almost like the Pope, they have one prophet who is living and he has to be elderly, of course, um, to be able to um, uh, arbitrate different things and give different teachings. So this is the whole worldview of the Mormons. Okay, any questions? Sure, there are lots. Yes, Corey. It's actually not a question, it's a story since this is uh, tackling worldviews. Uh, recently I had the opportunity to lead someone who was dabbling in Mormonism uh, <clears throat> closer to Christ. It was at a Gideon's meeting, so never say never uh, with evangelism. It was like an internal meeting. And uh, she said uh, that um, she was approached by Mormon missionaries recently and she spent Sunday at the Warwick Ward. I played volleyball there. and. Uh, um, uh, she also said uh, she had a Book of Mormon in her car. Should she throw it out? And I told her, don't do that. Um, re what they're going to do with her is uh, have her, what they did with me was read the Book of Mormon through the lens of the Bible. And it's going to confuse her. But I wanted her to read the Book of Mormon through the lens of the Bible. And the best way for, um, the best argument for the superiority of the Bible over the Book of Mormon is what, author Ernest M. Hemingway called the iceberg effect, which is uh, an iceberg uh, on top. What lurks below is substantially larger. So it's uh, using words, uh, m making words count. And uh, the best book in the Bible is the Book of Proverbs uh, for that iceberg effect. Book of Mormon, uh, it's like six to every verse is like six to eight semicolons. It's uh, basically one giant run on sentence. Uh, so, um, but pray for her because uh, uh, Lawrence is her brother's name and I'm going to be discipling her, so. Yep, thank you. All right, any other questions or comments? I know this is a lot of information and uh, it's just very wide. Um, Dan, can you pass this along, please? So if they believe in spirit prison, is that like uh, purgatory? It's equivalent. It's equivalent to purgatory, but just that in purgatory you have to uh, atone or you have to go through satisfaction or satisfaction for your own sins. But in the Mormon faith, you need somebody to go there and preach the gospel. And that's what gets them to believe. Um, you said that uh, it was by obedience to the law that they advanced. The one that makes the law is the God of that planet? Yes. And does that change depending upon... Yeah, when you, um, especially men, not women, but men, when you get exalted, you can have your own planet, and you can make your own world, you can make your own law. Okay. Yeah. Uh, back. Hang on. Can you get the mic there, please? Okay. How do they know if the dead people have faith? Uh, they don't know. They're just doing it just in case. 
And since men can have their own planet, what does that mean for their current <laughs> wives and where they, the, yeah. So the wives, their job is to have babies. That's, and their obedience to him. Yes, and their obedience to the exalted man. Um, so the exalted man can have as many children as he wants with these other women who are exalted also. So women in Mormonism, if you are living a good life, you get to have spirit children. Okay, any other questions? Okay, so how do we reach Mormons? The first thing is you have to show them the true identity of who God is. God is not a man. And he has said that very clearly in uh, the Old Testament and also in all of the Bible, that God is not a man. And there were no gods formed before him. Isaiah 43, 10 to 11, he says clearly, there was no one before me and there will be no one after me. Okay. So it's important that you memorize these verses and they follow the King James Bible so you can show it to them from their Bible um, that, look, this is what God says, Elohim, as you say. He says that there is no other God before me and there is no one that will be after me. And then also different verses, uh, 44, 6, 8, uh, you can look these verses when you get home. But Malachi 3, 6, God clearly says, I am not a man that I should change, okay? Um, Numbers 23, 6, again, very clearly, God says, I am not a man. It's almost like God knew what the arguments were, and he put scripture in there for us to know the truth and not be caught up with the lies, okay? So clearly, you have to strive with them to show who God is and show how... Um, the Book of Mormon has a lot of prophecies which are false prophecies, and you can show how those have not been fulfilled and how those have not um, been accomplished. And based on Deuteronomy 13, um, what do you do if there is a false prophet and who leads you astray? So how would you then tackle Joseph Smith? He was a false prophet, right? So in that sense, you have to know the Bible, and of course, you have to also take some time to understand what is in the Book of Mormon, what do they believe, which is very high level today to understand what that is. Um, the Book of Mormon, when you read it, they will say, uh, the way you know that Mormonism is true is because you get this burning in the bosom, right? It's all about feelings. You will know as you read the Book of Mormon that Mormonism is true because you will feel it in your heart, in your chest. But Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart is wicked, right? So this is almost like follow your heart. Very bad advice. Okay. Um, so again, these are ways how you can um, tackle and explain to them that, no, this is not what God has revealed. Uh, preach the gospel. Again, it's one thing to dismantle their arguments, but you can't leave them um, broken and without, uh, you, you cannot leave a void after you dismantle their arguments. Preach the gospel. Show them that, yes, you need to have faith and you need to repent, but in the way that the New Testament shows and in the way Jesus preached um, what faith and repentance are and in the way that the apostles preached what faith and repentance are, that's how we are saved 
and baptism does not save you, laying on of hands does not save you. Um, stay on topic. As I said, um, Mormonism is very vast and you can just keep going into circles. Don't get into arguments about polygamy, okay? You will go nowhere. Um, don't get into arguments about um, so many different things that they talk about, um, but stay on topic, stay uh, on topic with the gospel, show them how uh, the gospel is true and what they are believing is false. And finally, learn what they believe, as we have uh, discussed today a little bit. Learn what they believe, and that will help you to address their concerns, address their beliefs. Uh, every cult has its own quirks, right? I mean, nobody wants to leave their background because it's going to get them into trouble. So understand what they're, uh, what they're struggling with, what happens if they believe, what are the consequences, those kind of things. So learn their beliefs. and. Uh, be patient with them and stay on topic and make sure that you show who God is. It's not your arguments that's going to win you. It's the truth of the gospel, right? So don't feel like you have to come up with new arguments or make up things. No, don't do that. Just uh, stick to what God has already revealed and let God's word do its work. Okay. Um, as, as I mentioned last week, it's not going to happen in five minutes. You're not going to just go find a Mormon and it's like, hey, here, God said there was no one formed before me. It's like, oh, really? Okay, I'm going to leave Mormonism. No, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to be, even after you show there is hardness of heart in people, right? They will still reject. So pray for them, strive with them, and spend time if you can, as Corey said, disciple them and show them the truth of the Bible. I mean, they're, they're supposed to, they, they claim to be biblical, and you have what you need in the Bible to expose their lies and bring the truth of the gospel. Okay? All right. So quickly, let's move to our second um, topic today, which is Judaism. Judaism, I think we should all have a good understanding. Uh, we'll just touch some of the important things. They believe in one God, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Um, and um, they are Unitarian, as in they do not believe in the Trinity. They believe that God is one being and one person. Okay? So they do not believe in the Trinity. Um, they will never say the name Yahweh because it's too holy, and by saying the name Yahweh, they are sort of bringing a curse upon themselves, and they are profaning the name, so they will never say the name Yahweh. Um, they will always use Adonai or Hashem. Hashem means the name, um, so they will use that, but they will never say the name Yahweh. Again, Judaism, as you, we all know, it's both a religion and an ethnicity, right? So there are a lot of uh, ethnic Jews who are not religious. And for them, it's like, I don't care. I'm, I know I'm a Jew, but I don't believe in God. When I was in Israel, I found a lot of people who don't believe in God. And they're like, how could you not believe in God? You're right there. <laughs> and uh, one of the guys that I was talking to, he just said, there is not enough evidence. I'm like, and I was in Jerusalem in the temple, and this guy said, there's just not enough evidence. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we just came back from the tomb of Jesus, which is empty, and you're telling me that there is not enough evidence. So there are a lot of uh, Judaism or being Jew is uh, ethnic, 
and there are a lot of people who are atheistic who don't believe in God. And of course, they have their own reason why would God allow the Holocaust to happen. So a lot of other things, they have their reasons. But again, just because you find a Jew doesn't mean that they're all religious about Judaism. They could just be a Jew because of ethnicity. Um, they do not believe that Jesus is God. I mean, it's, it's not a shocker. We know that they did not believe that Jesus was God, even while Jesus was walking on the earth. And still today, they don't believe that Jesus is God. Obviously, they do not. They know that he was put to death, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Okay? They don't think that he rose again from the dead. And also, Jesus is sort of disliked very strongly among some Orthodox Jews. Okay? They, they dislike and have seen, seen videos where they spit at the cross and things like that. So it's really a lot of uh, hatred. And even while you are talking to an Orthodox Jew, um, it, it will offend them if you say you're a Christian. It will offend them. But the way you get around that is to say, I'm a follower of Yeshua. Okay, so that will be sort of softer, but um, saying that you're a Christian is sort of offensive for them. Okay. Um, creation, of course, they believe as we believe in Genesis that God created in six days. Uh, man, again, as we believe, God, man was created in God's image, male and female. But then you also have the ethnicity, Jews and Gentiles. So that's another aspect that they uh, hold on to also. You are either a Jew or a non-Jew, and because of which there is um, sometimes different ways they treat people. Okay? So there is, um, that is their understanding of who man is. Salvation. Uh, one important thing to keep in mind is they do not believe that the original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, the fall, uh, had any effect on humans after Adam and Eve. Okay, so we believe in the idea of original sin, Romans 5, that because of one man, sin entered into the world and uh, through sin came death. But this is very Pelagian. If you um, don't know Pelagianism, we did a class when we talk, spoke about uh, heresies and creeds. You can find that on the website. But um, they are very Pelagian in the sense that they believe that they have the ability to live a righteous life. Okay, so they can follow the commandments that God has given them in the Old Testament. Okay, so they don't need uh, a substitute. They don't need someone else to live a perfect life on your behalf because you are able to do it. And consequently, following the commands that are written in the Torah, that is how you can go to heaven. That is how you can be united with God. Okay, so it's a very, very works-based religion, and you have to keep the commandments, all the different commandments, um, written and oral. Now, this is where it gets a little convoluted. Written, we know what the written commandments are. You find them in the first five books of the Bible. But oral, these are uh, case laws that have been passed on by the rabbis, as in, how, what do you do in this situation? This is why... Uh, Jesus was addressing a lot of these when he was on the earth also, like the Korban rule, right? That's not written down, but that's how, that was the oral Torah that they passed on to people, and they said, this is what you're supposed to do, and this is how you fulfill the law, and uh, these are all 
made up or case laws which they made up and based on their interpretation and you have to follow those also. Now we'll talk about how they were documented in a second but the, you have to follow the written commandments and the oral commandments. Idolatry and assimilation are the worst sins. Idolatry is blasphemy. You can see in the Old Testament, if uh, blasphemy is equating, or the, the very first commandment, or you, should, the, you shall have no other gods before me. So idolatry is um, a very horrible sin. And assimilation is how you um, uh, get assimilated into the Gentiles, right? So that's also a worse sin. Again, not everybody is um, an Orthodox Jew, but Orthodox Jews will not assimilate in the sense of they won't marry, they won't uh, do other things with non-Jews. Okay. Um, repentance and good works and life of devotion, again, that's um, an important part of how they can be saved. I've added the verse Hosea 6.6, and the reason I've added the verse Hosea 6.6 is when you look at the Old Testament, one way for them to get rid of their sins was what? How did they get rid of their sins? Through the sacrifice, right? You had the Day of Atonement, which they still celebrate, but the sacrifice only happened in the temple. But now there is no temple. So where does the sacrifice happen and how do, how do, the, how do their sins get forgiven? That's why they go to Hosea 6.6 where God says, sacrifice is not what I have desired, but I desire mercy. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. So they take that and they say, look, God anyway is merciful, we don't have to sacrifice, and um, that's their understanding of how they get around the fact that there is no sacrifice that they can offer according to their own law for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So if, you, um, if, if that were one of your arguments, it's like, how, how, do, how do your sins get forgiven? Right? Because there is no sacrifice. So what do you do about your sins? You cannot pay for them. And the way you would pay for them is by dying, but that doesn't really help you. Um, so how do you get rid of your sins? And this is what they will show you. Not, again, not everyone is um, orthodox in the sense they, they might just be like, I'll just do good works. This is a very classic, I'm a good person argument, right? I know I have failed, I know I have committed sins, but I'm a good person, and because I'm a good person, God will uh, let me in. Okay, so that is most of their argument. Uh, and also, they're waiting, still waiting, on the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Okay? And the way they will know who the Messiah is, is uh, by looking at these verses, Daniel 7.14 and Zechariah 9.10, where it says that the Messiah will rule over all the earth and that there will be peace over from, uh, to all the ends of the earth. Okay? So is there peace right now? No, there is no peace, so which means the Messiah has still not come. And when the Messiah comes, there will be peace and there won't be any uh, war, there won't be any struggle, there won't be any uh, calamity. So that's how we know the Messiah has come. But since all of these things are still happening, the Messiah has not come and we are still waiting for him. That is their part of their salvation. Also, they're waiting for the Messiah. Okay? And finally, their scripture, their scripture is the Torah or the first five books. That is where the law was given, and that is primarily binding on them. They also have the prophets and the writings. So uh, Torah is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Uh, Nevi'im is, are the prophets, 
uh, which is they also have Joshua as their prophet. So their book of prophets is longer than what we would say. Uh, and then they also have the Ketuvim, which is the writings. And those are like the Psalms, Job, and uh, Proverbs. So the wisdom literature, all of those falls under uh, the writings. Okay, so these three form their uh, Bible, but the Torah is what's binding because that's what gives you the law and what God wants you to do, right? Because in all cases, even when you look at the prophets, the prophets are basically telling people, come back to the covenant that you made with God, right? Follow his commandments, worship him alone. Don't um, follow other gods. That's what the prophets are also saying. So everything points back to the Torah. So the Torah is their um, final... Um, one second, Louis, I'll, I'll come to you. Um, the other texts that they follow are the Mishnah and the Talmud. Remember I told you there is the oral Torah? The oral Torah has been documented in the Mishnah. Okay, all the case laws, how are you supposed to deal in this situation? What are you supposed to do? All of that has been documented in the Mishnah. And these are, uh, I won't say commentaries, but these are the conversations that each rabbi had with their students as to how are you supposed to apply this law in different situations. Some of them are popular, some of them are not so popular, but the Mishnah has. Uh, all of it. The not so popular ones are not, the minority opinions have been in, uh, documented in the appendix, but the majority opinion is in the Mishnah. And then they have the Talmud, which is again, it's the Mishnah plus the Gemara. The Gemara is the teachings, and the teachings is how each community made sense of those laws. So it's a very pragmatic uh, approach to things like, okay, God has given these laws, so what does that mean? How do we apply them? How do we make sense of them in our community? And that's part of the Talmud. You have the Jerusalem Talmud, and then you have the Babylonian Talmud. And so you have, diff uh, those are the two different Talmuds, but um, that's what they follow. But the Torah is what's binding. The Torah is uh, God's commandments, and that is what he expects people to follow. Right. Where do the history books fit in, like Chronicles, Kings, That would be Judges, in the Ketuvim. In the Ketuvim. Yeah. John? So uh, the Talmud, is that a dynamic book? It's continually evolving? Not anymore. It was up to a certain point, but at this, right now, it's been codified. There was a guy, I forget his name, Bomberg. Yeah, I think it was Bomberg who um, compiled all these teachings and the Gemara and everything. And so it's not a live book anymore. I could be wrong on that, but from what I can, I'm about 85% positive that it's not a live book anymore. It's been done. I mean, you could have different rabbis who are teaching different things right now, but I don't think they get added to the Talmud. Any other questions? Comments? Okay. Yes, George. So what is eternal life and, like, resurrection of the dead and a judgment day, and, and how does that fit in with Messiah come in. Eternal life for them is almost getting back to Eden. So when the Messiah comes, they also believe that there will, some of them do believe that there will be the new heavens and the new earth, and that is what the Messiah will bring, and that will be uh, heaven and paradise for them. But they also believe that once you die now, you are at rest. You are just in a 
state where you do, where you're neither in um, you're just waiting for to be resurrected when the Messiah comes. And because of that, when I was in uh, Jerusalem, you have these graves that are closest to the temple, and all of them want to be buried there because they know that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem. And if you're buried close to Jerusalem, you'll be the first ones to rise again. So they're waiting um, after their death to be resurrected, and that it'll be a restoration of Eden, and it will be peace on earth. That's their understanding. Okay, so let's move on and close this up. Um, how do we reach the Jewish people? Um, again, it all hinges on the person of Christ, right? It all hinges on the person of Christ. Show them Jesus in the Old Testament. And that is what Jesus also tried to do while he was on the earth. In John 5, 39, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you look into the scriptures, but it is the scriptures that testify about me, right? So they need to see Jesus from the Old Testament. Luke 24, 27, when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, again, he's saying, how foolish are you to not believe the prophets? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he showed them how uh, he showed uh, how the, the Messiah was supposed to be uh, put to death and then risen again. Okay? So you have to know the Old Testament and the New Testament. Again, this is where your understanding of the Bible is so important. And it is so critical because if you want to reach the, uh, these uh, uh, ethnic groups or these people who have different worldviews, you have to understand where you stand first. And if they're claiming to be Christian, you have to know your Bible and memorize and be firmly rooted in them. Otherwise, you're just going to go in circles. Okay? Um, there are many verses which in the Old Testament, again, all of Old Testament um, is pointing to Jesus. And there are some verses that I've pointed out. Psalm 110.1, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand. Uh, that's the most quoted verse in the New Testament. Again, who are there two lords? So there, who are the two lords? Um, Isaiah 42, 49, these are songs about the servant. Who is the servant of God? It cannot be Israel when you read the text. It has to be somebody else. Isaiah 53, uh, some of them have not even read Isaiah 53 in, um, because sometimes it's omitted. Right? So they don't even know about Isaiah 53, so point them to it, and again, some other verses. Uh, help them read the New Testament. Not everybody, people have not even read the New Testament. Right? They don't even know what is contained in the New Testament, because some of them, for them, the New Testament is taboo. Nope, can't read it. It's uh, denying or uh, it's uh, betraying your faith, so you cannot do it. So help them read the New Testament and know the New Testament, so you can even tell what's in the New Testament if they don't want to read it. Uh, share the resur resurrection as fulfilled prophecy. I think it's important to show that um, what was prophesied in their own uh, Bible came to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection is the biggest evidence that you can show them that the prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, uh, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus was put to death according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. 
All of that happened. Jesus fulfilled all of the scriptures, and these are the scriptures that the Jewish people follow. The other thing you can tell them is Jesus did not lead people to follow other gods, right? So Deuteronomy 13, they said if a prophet comes and if he does all these miracles, but if he leads you to follow other gods, then you know that he's a false prophet. But Jesus, when he came, he led the people to follow the God of Israel. Okay, I mean, think about it. Why should Gentiles all over the world, because of this one man, worship the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why? Because if he was a false prophet, he would have led them to other gods, according to their own text. But, according to, uh, but based on what Jesus did, he led them to worship Yahweh. So that is another argument that you can use. The main thing when you're talking to a works righteousness person is you have to show them God's justice. God just cannot wink at sin. He cannot just push sin under the rug and forget about it. That would go against his own nature. He is a just God. And you have to show how God's justice needs to be satisfied and the seriousness of sin. For many of them, even for a good pers- uh, the good person theology, um, even in that, it's like, yeah, I've failed, but who hasn't failed? So based on that, I mean, if, I, I mean, based on my good works, I will be accepted. God will accept me because everybody is a sinner and God has to look at my good works. So that's their argument also. And in those conversations, it's because they don't understand the seriousness of sin. And that's something that we have to show in our conversations with them that God just cannot let I mean not be just in that manner okay um, okay so that was all of it and I know we are late so if you have any other questions come talk to me but um, again it's important as I said in the beginning it's important that we know the Bible memorize scripture be ready to answer questions and be grounded in Christian doctrines because without those they can take you for a ride we will see uh, in the next class which is again not next week we are skipping next week we are taking a break next week we will come back in two weeks and we will talk about Islam and Islam Muslims they know our scriptures more than we know our scriptures so uh, make sure that you're spending time reading the Bible and equipping yourself in the truth Okay, so let's pray and we'll close. Father in heaven, we praise you. We um, thank you, Lord, for you desire people to be reconciled to you. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the same desire that we will reach our uh, fellow image bearers that, whom you have created, Lord, with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of who you are, and call them back to being reconciled to you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors. Um, for you and give us the desire, Lord, to reach people around us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.